Hey, you, my friendly listeners, have just tuned in to the Green by Design podcast, which might mean you're an interior designer looking to learn a little bit more about going green or maybe another kind of home professional. But whoever you are, we are happy to have you here today to learn a little bit more from our amazing guest this afternoon. So thank you for tuning in. The goal of this podcast is to help the interior design industry as a whole, as well as the professionals, go a little bit greener through education, discussion, and connection. And I am your host. My name is Erica Reiner, and I have founded my company, Eco Method Interiors. So today's guest is Travis Nagel. Did I pronounce that correctly? You sure did. Great. I should have practiced that, but oh well. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to tell you guys a bit about Travis. So Travis grew up in California, and then after college, he worked in advertising for a couple of years before going into business for himself and launching a furniture collection with his older brother, Ryan, in 2005, which they did out of their apartment. Now, Medley is their newest brand, focusing on all of the things that they have learned about furniture over the past 15 years, including the focus on sustainability and non-toxic materials. Travis currently lives in New York, while Medley is based and manufactured in Los Angeles. Yes, indeed. So, Travis, yes? Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. I was about to say thank you so much for being here. I am very excited. I think you're the first actual producer, maker that I have with me so far on this podcast journey. So I'm very excited. You are, you, what you guys do is really in my wheelhouse in terms of your sustainability and ethos and also stylistically. You guys are a high style brand. It's not like um, a Quaker yeah. You know, like country kitchen table. We, it's a little bit, you know, more in trend and modern. And that is exactly what we need to make this whole green thing work. And this industry has to be aesthetically pleasing because that's what this business is. So having said that, I will just let you tell us a little bit more about how this business came into inception and also specifically where the green element came from because there are not many there's a few but there's not many people doing what you're doing into the level that you're doing and especially with the fact that it's e-commerce so let's wrap that all up and you can tell me just all about the past sure sure so uh, as I mentioned we've been doing this for a while but going back to 2005 when we first came up with the idea I was working in advertising as you mentioned my older brother was working you know, the graphic design company. So we came from it more from a kind of creative standpoint in terms of our experience and skill set. But the idea and the impetus was really from a consumer standpoint. Uh, at that time, there weren't a lot of furniture companies that were focused on selling their, their products online and definitely weren't utilizing that technology to offer things in terms of being customizable and a little bit more personalized. So that was the original idea was to kind of shift the, the, the thinking around the shopping process uh, and then push that all to uh, pieces that are a little bit better quality, made in the U.S. and all customized from your home, basically. So, you know, as you mentioned, we started this out of our uh, apartment. Um, we didn't have any funding or anything like that. We really didn't, to be honest, really know what we were doing, which can be an advantage sometimes, right? Because you come from, from a fresh perspective. And so... Totally. Just launch it out of, out of uh, our, our apartment a couple different models and then eventually it sort of taken off and we both quit our careers and did full time. And through that process, within you know the first five, six, seven months, we became privy to the type of materials that are being used in the industry as sort of standard and where some of the opportunities might be. We didn't at first even have a clear understanding of, of what the eco-friendly elements meant within the world of furniture. It was of interest, but we didn't understand the, the, the minutiae of from the inside out, the techniques, all that kind of stuff. So as we grew and evolved, that became a, a big, big part of where we were able to think, implement some innovations around a lot of that. Not necessarily from the sort of production standpoint, as much as initially from the material standpoint. Aha. 
And so from the production standpoint, is it just you two building furniture in your apartment? No. So we, um, we do not have the, the shops to make these ourselves. We actually did <laughs> a couple of pieces ourselves, um, which was from a consumer standpoint, also part of understanding price point, what, what sort of qualities out there at that price point and, and trying to find a kind of middle ground between high, high end luxury and stuff that maybe is a little bit more disposable. But we basically have partnered with, um, existing manufacturers and, and have like exclusive partnerships with them. So we come up with all the designs mm-hmm. and then they build it in Los Angeles for us. That's fabulous. Okay. So you had to do a lot of digging as to who was already in line with your standards, with the kind of equipment you needed for your particular style and pieces. And then later down, you had to look for folks that were also maybe in line with the sustainability element. Yeah. And uh, that was definitely part of it was the existing manufacturers that we've worked with for years, they don't really have the sensibility and focal point of this. They're more kind of behind the scenes and just focused on quality craftsmanship. So we've had to develop a lot of different, a lot of different things over the years in terms of trying out. There's a lot of trial and error, which is one of the things having manufacturing in the United States and building things one at a time is a big advantage for that because we can try things out. We can prototype. Just today I was, I was Googling trying to figure out other natural materials that we can incorporate. And if we were to make that overseas and have to make them thousands at a time, it could be a bit more of a challenge. Uh, so that's definitely been something that I think that we have brought to the industry a little bit is the willingness to go outside the, the, the typical approach to materials and, and techniques. And, and in terms of finding the right niche and, and consumers out there, um, it's been interesting because we, the way we sort of view eco-friendly is two main tenets, what we call a healthy planet, healthy home. So the healthy planet is primarily about sustainability and thinking about using renewable resources, uh, the longevity and durability of the product in terms of the life cycle. There's, you know, are things going to be uh, compostable down the line, all that. And then the healthy home is more about making sure that what we're putting into our homes is non-toxic, reducing harmful chemicals, all that. So there's a large ecosystem of considerations there. And it's interesting because some consumers are more focused on the sustainability element and that's what they're really trying to do. And that's what's resonating. And some of them are more about, Hey, this is a, uh, I want, I want something that's a little pure, not less, less harmful for my, me and my family, that kind of thing. So it's sort of all encompassing ethos that we have around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, over the years, we've found different organizations and, and designers and, and consumers that are focused on anywhere in that spectrum. Yeah, I think that you hit on something that I like to touch on whenever someone asks me, like, what does that really mean? Or what's an eco-friendly interior designer? Or like, so what exactly does that look like? I like to say that, well, there's like the sustainability element and then there is the human health and toxicity element and planet health as well. But there's like the health part and then there's the sustainability part. And those are not synonymous right now. Sometimes they can be and, and often you will, where you find one, you'll find the other. But that's not always the case. And so that's interesting to me that you are seeing clients and customers either asking for one type of feature or one type of product or another. Like you're probably getting different questions in your customer service inbox. And so I will actually love to hear an example. Well, actually, I'd love to know what you get more of. It's my guess that it's going to be the toxicity and health element. Yeah. And so when we initially started, our main focal point was the sustainability, like how can we protect our planet and the natural resources? And then over the years, uh, I think that has been, because that's, it's just more immediate, right? Your health, your home is something that you can kind of see in a more tangible way and it's more short term. Yeah. Um, and so it's a little bit harder, I think, for people necessarily to think about furniture holistically on that kind of long term sustainability planet level. So we do try to incorporate both, but I'll, I think, I think you're right generally speaking, that's probably the first way in. And then they can also learn a little bit more as we send them some literature and information about sustainable elements as well. Absolutely. And so when I, in my prior career, I was an environmental science adjunct lecturer. The best way that I saw like the connection and the lights go on and 
the straight up engagement from my students was when I was talking about the human health element and seeing that light turn on of like how many aspects of environmentalism are directly related and like taking care of your planet is directly taking care of your body, your family, your home, your whatever. And that's classic, you know, knowledge and education processing is that you start with a student centered place-based personalized approach because that is how people learn. That's how people get it. It's how people, they relate to the world through their own eyes. So you kind of have to start there in my findings and then branch out even though in the past topics like saving the whale and saving the earth and climate change and right now plastics pollution does capture societal attention it's much more tangible when there is like a piece that they really get internally so to speak so you started with the company called VSO, right? Correct. That's what it was called back then. And then we basically, over the years, we started selling other brands as well, um, most of them eco-minded. So it was a sort of combination with our own collection as well as maybe 50 other curated brands. And that became a little bit confusing with messaging, and we really wanted to focus primarily on our own. And so that's what we rebranded um, a few years ago with, in 2016 and with, with Medley. So that's, that's where we are now. Right. Okay. So I guess I want to know now what, like what part of eco-friendly interior design, since you're talking to me, designer and for primarily who's going to be listening to this, the designers and other home professionals, what is important to you about green interiors and green products and materials and what really inspired you to take that on in your company? Because I am sure that you got a lot of resistance and a lot of people or confusion or just barriers in terms of like awareness and education. Mm -hmm. And so you really have to like commit to, as I did, like I didn't necessarily start off branded in a particular way. And I kind of took any which project as I was building my portfolio. But as, as I moved through it, I also had to, sort of make the decision and niche very specifically and take on only certain projects that I wasn't pushing my values onto other people. It was people that were open, people that were interested in health and wellness and that kind of thing. So what was that like for you? And what is so important to you about it that you made it through those first early years? Yeah. And to address the, what you mentioned, it's, it is true. I mean, you, there are a lot of barriers to overcome and it is in some ways a lot easier to compromise. I think we could easily go halfway and all of a sudden now bring our price point down probably. And maybe we open up to a broad audience, but we knowing what we know and what our mission is in terms of making products better for us, the planet, it just doesn't align with that. So we're, we're adamant about sticking with this and hopefully as the demand grows, uh, that'll you know, kind of help broaden the, the industry's uh, perspective on this. Uh, in terms of going back to why I think, a lot of it has to do with maybe how my brother and I grew up. Uh, both of our parents were hippies back in the day. And we kind of grew up with this focus on environmentalism, even back when you know, I was growing up in the 80s, you know, well before the Al Gore days. And <laughs> we just sort of had this sensibility about it. And even, uh, you know, like my father, his career was working for the California uh, government as an alternative energy specialist. So pushing narratives around policy around uh, alternative, uh, you know, like a solar, solar power, uh, wind, all that. So that was a sort of framework that we had, I think. And so for us to try to bring that into business didn't seem like a huge leap. And then even as us as adults, growing up in California, I think kind of shaped the way we view nature in particular. There's a lot of camping, a lot of outdoors going up sort of east of Sacramento, we grew up on just the foothills towards like Tahoe. So we were doing a lot of camping, redwoods, you know, Yosemite, all that kind of stuff growing up. And so I think that purity, that beauty also kind of helped put that in the forefront of like, hey, we're literally cutting down trees that take 40 years and then making sofas out of that, right? It's a finished product when you get it in your home and people don't think about the duration of time and the resources that are, are trading at. So for us, when I'm going on a hike, I'm like, yeah, this is all, this is literally like what we're using, not those exact trees, obviously. But um, so it's just all that sort of thing combined for us to 
kind of have a more clear focus on if we're going to do furniture, we want to do it in this way um, that we think is a more impactful, a positive manner uh, towards consumers and, and the, the planet. That's amazing. That's um, a little bit similar to my story. I grew up in a town that had a nature center and my parents just in, especially my mom would install in, instill in me the value and love and curiosity towards nature and animals. And so I was at that little nature center a lot. We were doing things in nature, which was great. Um, appreciating animals of all kinds. and. I think that that had a lot to do with laying the groundwork. And that is also some of the reason that in my previous life, I got into environmental education because I wanted to pass that on to other people. Mm -hmm. So that is a great story and gives us a little bit of insight. Okay, so this is going to be a little bit different for you. So you can answer this however you want. But I've been asking people like, what are your top three ways to go green when you are working on a project, so in some cases that's an interior design project or decorating project, in your case that's going to be in basically putting new products out onto the market. So what are your top three ways as a supplier that you like to incorporate eco-friendliness in one way or another into your work? Yes, and that, and that does definitely apply to us, right? Because we kind of have to think of certain principles. There are a lot of decisions that we do make in terms of what goes into our products, even beyond the design. So uh, sort of like a few key buckets, I would say. First one is, generally speaking, trying to use more natural materials. At first, that could seem counterintuitive because you're utilizing resources. But if you do it responsibly, then you can actually respect the large ecosystem and ongoing keep a little bit more of a, a self-fulfilling cycle there. So that's the first one. So that, for example, for us, we use natural latex on all of our, basically any upholstered goods we have, sofas, sectionals, they can be produced with natural latex and wool instead of the typical polyurethane foam. Um, and with those sort of like what we call like a kind of like extreme green versions, it's 100% natural from inside out. We're using jute, we're using organic cotton all those uh, elements, including fabrics. So that's one element so that not only is it healthier for consumers, but 30 years from now, when it ends up in the landfill, it's going to be able to decompose. So the second one is actually around that 30-year mark that I mentioned, let's say. So durability is really a big, a big push for us. There's a, I think there's been a trend more in the last 20, 30 years, especially with the kind of overseas manufacturing, to focus on almost like fast furniture. It's like fast fashion kind of a yes. mentality. And we really don't want to treat furniture as disposable, um, where it's just something you have for a few years and then you move and you just like toss it or, or just falls apart. So that's another thing is really thinking about the craftsmanship and techniques that are needed to make something that, I mean, these sofas we're building will last a lifetime. Like they last forever. We've, as you know, we've already been doing this 15 years and we get customers that email us. And they're like, hey, I bought this back in 2006 and it's still great. Absolutely. And before you tell me that third one, I would just have to wonder, like, that then almost makes your job even harder when you're pulling in the stylistic elements and the actual design of the piece. Because if you're like, okay, this will literally last you 20, 30 years, you then have to think about like classic and timeless design that can transition tr like through trending phases and the de home design and decor world experiences cycles and like tenure trends and things like that just like every just like fashion and really everything else hairstyles whatever so that must be actually like an extra layer for you guys you can't just do what's it in right now although you although you certainly can add elements into each piece but you kind of have to think long term as well of on that in the style yeah, I mean, I would say that that is consideration. And generally, people and you know, our designs actually are a little bit more timeless in that sense. We're not trying to hit you know current trends that might look out of fashion in a few years, that kind of thing. So we we try to incorporate designs that are a little bit that are are clean and minimalist, but also not too modern. So we want to try to allow it to kind of breathe within a lot of different styles. So we you know do a lot of work with transitional, even more like traditional or contemporary, like all within that world, I think it works. 
And then, you know, let's say you do need to sell it in a, in a few years because you move and now you need a sectional instead of a sofa. It's going to hold up. It's going to have value. Um, so you can actually resell it for a decent amount. And I see it all the time where people will sell our pieces, you know, to buy for $4,000. And then a few years later, they sell it for like 1500 So obviously you're not going to get, you know, the full money back. But I think more than other brands, it is a bit of an investment up front. Um, so it does cost more. But um, beyond the comfort, durability, you're actually buying something that does hold its its value in that way. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Lay the third one on us. <laughs> third one, I think is, is sort of related to the first one, but um, it's just, they, they sort of like, I think the focus on the, the chemicals is, is a, the big one that yeah. we're constantly working through. So even if it's not just the, the natural element, we are focusing on, even if it's like, let's say it's synthetic, right? So if it's like a polyester fiber or something like that, We'll go through and be very strict in terms of who we're going to source it from. If and if it's uh, you know, uh, let's say like yeah, like a polyester fiber again, it's really durable and suitable for commercial projects or for the home. We still don't want to make sure there's no you know fire retardant sprayed on there, no stain repellents are going to be really harsh. All the glues that we're using are are zero VOC. We're using natural beeswax for a finish, so we're trying to kind of like simplify things and get back to a little bit more of a kind of Purity, I think the way a lot of things were probably made 50 years ago totally. uh, was like more like a real craft, I think. So that's a big focus for us. And then toggling between the, the, you know, the, the two worlds of healthy planet, healthy home, it, it is interesting. There aren't necessarily always, there's not always necessarily one right answer for which material to use. So let me give you a quick example. In general, as you know, like, Synthetic fabrics do hold up longer than, like, say, like an organic cotton or something like that. So we may have a client that wants to do all natural from the inside out using natural latex, but they have three kids and a dog, and the thing is going to get destroyed. And so on top of that, then we'll layer a polyester-based fabric, one that was that, that we've kind of sourced responsibly. But that they may be a little bit counterintuitive to people, but at the end of the day, that's going to make that product last a lot longer and that for us is that's a fair compromise that hey like maybe they would rather do all natural but in this case having that blend actually is going to be most suitable for the lifestyle and and curate you know create a, a longer life cycle for that product so totally and if you can make something last longer you're essentially creating less demand for i mean let alone the end of life cycle like californians grew up with a very strong understanding and foundation in in waste and landfills and recycling and so on. But also the piece I like to constantly remind people is just the straight up demand for new virgin resources. So if you, so yeah, the end of the life cycle, but then right at the end, there's a beginning for something else. Yeah. So if you can create less demand for new wood and the energy it takes in the, in the factory and the water and the fibers, 100%. I think that's a really good point. And you touched on something else, which is that all I know through my undergrad, my graduate, and all the work I've done since is there is no magic pill. There's not in any industry when we're talking about going green and a society globally of seven plus billion, there is no, and, and the structures and foundations we have in place now we're just doing the best we can within what we've got and so <laughs> you got to start somewhere and so if having a poly blend is going to make something last longer and make the client happy and you source it responsibly and it's not sprayed with anything harmful to those kids and dog then you've done a great thing and you've served that client really well so yes the life cycle is extended there is less demand for new resources and newer furniture and everyone's happy and you've still got them. You've got that toe in the door now with that client and, and with future clients and people that they refer and all that kind of thing. So it's this like dynamic moving ecosystem and it's not black. And, the thing about like when we talk about green is it's not black and white. Yeah, it really isn't. Shades of green. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. Yes, no, it definitely is true. Um, and we found that too over, over the years as we as we've evolved and as new materials come about, we got to kind of weigh the different uh, levels of impact, short term, long term, all that. So, and I think as long as you do that with intentionality and integrity, then you're miles ahead of 
of everyone else and we want to bring everyone else along with us. So, so that's great. Okay. So what would you like to see in terms of the industry as a whole going green? And this could be on the customer side, the, de- the design professional side, or the maker side, whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, within the sort of trade world, it's been interesting. I think there is more knowledge and demand a lot of times for commercial projects. And so, you know, if something's trying to achieve lead certification, if it's a hotel, mm-hmm. restaurant, hotel lobby, we get specified for those a lot because there's a built-in understanding infrastructure around that and certification. It's not as, I feel like it's still not as much understood in demand on the residential side for, for designers. And so that would be something I think that I'm hoping to see more of is being able to have the language around the customers will understand the benefit of paying a little bit more for this thing. Yes. Instead of a $1,500 sofa, ours cost, 2100 or something like that and so it's going to be more but is that over the course of five years is the extra five hundred dollars going to be worth it i think it is given well, that we know it is you know it's right economically because yeah. if you're able to hang on to that piece for longer it's just like fast fashion and that's something people are a little bit more familiar with yeah i could buy the really cheap thing <laughs> yeah. from forever 21 or whatever not to throw them under the bus specifically sure. but and wear it a few times before it instantly has a hole or shrank or the thread came out or like whatever. And then I have to replace that item or I just buy a ton more than I would need with a regular, like a high quality item. So it's overcoming that barrier of the short term versus long term savings. And so we are genetically, biologically wired to think about our short term benefit, just like the, with the way our brain work. So it's yeah. having to like come out of your lizard brain and think about with your evolved brain and think like, well, actually, yeah, it'll save me what, however many hundreds, a few hundred dollars now, but in the long term, it's a great investment. And then if you want to go even bigger than that, it's a health investment, which is the longest term asset that you, that you have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so that, that, that's one of them. Another interesting thing is just the world of uh, the certifications and the, the structures and organizations around that. I'm so thankful that they are doing what they do, but also I found it challenging as a, as a maker. It can be cost prohibitive. It can be really difficult in terms of all the different variables that we have involved to get things classified correctly. So I wish there is a little bit easier, more, more tenable way for more companies to be incentivized to do that because that's just one more barrier that I feel like they obviously we're committed to, so that's we'll, we'll overcome that. But if the, if you're kind of in between, maybe like you know, it's just not worth it. I don't understand all that. It's too technical. It's going to cost me thousands of dollars and take me years to get all this pushed through. I wish there was a little bit something, a little bit set up that it could kind of shepherd companies through that process and, and make that a little bit more uh, attainable. Well, that um, brings up an interesting question: Are you guys? reaching for any certifications or even if not a certification an association or organization or like where are your fingers mm-hmm. in the pies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe very hungry. Uh, so yeah, so like we did our HBD recently and, and we submitted those. And so we basically got and just quickly for folks listening, that's a health product declaration. And so we basically got certified as being um, like uh counting towards lead certification. We can't get lead certified our, our, ourselves within that, but so that's great for like kind of commercial projects, doesn't necessarily apply to residential, but um, it gives you some sense of the stringency that we have on that. We generally, our main focal point is to work with specific, you know, like wool that's certified or cotton source that that's certified. So kind of rely on the materials that we're using to, to do that work and then know that that's going to contribute to overall pick that we have we've also we tried to get i think portico that was a while back with i think google has like a whole work um, that sort of is uh trying to focus on, on green green materials green sourcing all that but um there are there aren't like a, a ton out there that is for finished product like us it's more for the materials I, I would say so i would like to be something like i can submit this here's a finished sofa and here's some sort of level or some sort of achievement that we've uh, you know, that yeah. we have based on all the other pieces that we've put into that essentially. So it's, it's kind of just, but I don't know. 
Well, there's like the cradle to cradle, which is a whole yeah. other thing. It's like almost impossible to achieve. I think we can do it, but um, again, that's like it's fairly costly and, and a bit of a process. Sure. Okay. So there's cradle to cradle, which it sounds like you're considering. And then I wonder, are you part of the Sustainable Furnishings Council? Yes, we are. We, I think we are listed on there. There's Sustainable Minds, which is another group that we're on. So we're on a few of those kind of uh, network. Yeah. And then lastly, a great one coming out, well, is out, and I have to do my, you know, my part, my duty, and say, check out Mindful Materials. We had a representative on this show, and um, it is what you would be a, such a great fit. It is also a search platform for specifiers, but also it really helps kind of like how we're talking about the Wild West world of certifications and and you can like, you, you know, make one here, you might have one certification here or for one piece and here, it kind of like helps bridge the gap and it helps put those characteristics into a platform that's easily identifiable and searchable and cohesive. And so I am very excited about Mindful Materials and their work. So there we go. I have done Perfect. my, I have uh, done my, my <laughs> to them, but yeah. This is something that's very interesting and that I would like to see for this industry as well as a little bit more cohesion and groups mm -hmm. talking to each other and yeah. certifying groups and all working together, getting something a little bit more streamlined together because it can be confusing. And right now that is something that us as specifiers, designers, buyers have to be aware of all the different certifications and like kind of understand what they mean. And then you know, put that in our knowledge bank for when a particular kind of client or project comes around and be like, okay, which one is going to work for this <laughs> yeah, project? And that's like part, like I always say, it's like part, what I do is part science, part art, and it's like mixed up in this stew and out comes my personal method on how I approach incorporating green and eco-friendly pieces into projects. So yeah, I'm with you on that. That's a doozy there is getting that all in order would be ideal. Yeah. And then I would like to know if like what positive changes you have seen recently so we can lift ourselves up. Yeah, um, I would say one thing that I am seeing sort of from a material standpoint is a lot of bigger brands finally using FSC certified woods. At least that's a mm -hmm. start. For us, that's sort of like the basic kind of level. Like that's like the foundation. Then you've got to deal with all the other layers. But at least that's something that, um, you know, all the studies show that one of the biggest impacts we can have in terms of reversing climate change is planting trees, right? And so that's the most literal version of that, I think. is like, hey, we're taking this from Earth. Let's try to make sure that it's harvested properly and put back in more abundance than it was removed. Like it's a seemingly simple thing, but... You know, when the main incentive of most companies and capitalism is just profit, 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 that doesn't always come naturally to a lot of people. And so I've been encouraged that at least I think most brands are um, starting with that as a foundation, I would say. And another thing is, interestingly, you know, I mentioned the, the fast fashion element is sort of like a corollary or like the negative approach, I think. But fashion also is, I think, a little bit ahead of furniture with yes. its sustainable practices and thinking about interesting innovative materials and stuff being a little bit more uh, modernized with technology and all that kind of stuff so that's been encouraging i think because that i think will open up not only it'll motivate furniture and, and, and home goods brands but also will make more awareness for customers to things outside of food like you know you know organic you know fruit that kind of thing so 100 um, percent, i couldn't agree with you more i think it all contributes to a social collective consciousness and a rising tide lifts all boats. So yeah. And I reference like the agricultural movement and the fashion movement a lot moving in both of those industries. There was a collective slow beginning of education and awareness and people noticing things weren't quite right. And then people, you know, scientists studying it and makers changing and consumers questioning and starting to demand other things and it was this and until it was like pretty much a small revolution in both of those 
industries. Now, does that mean that conventional agriculture and, and big ag and chemical industry, and does that mean that, you know, fast fashion and big box stores aren't 100% thriving? Oh, they sure are. And we have a long way to go. But now people know, A, that there's a problem and B, that they have a choice. And I think yeah. that is so important when I was, you know, studying and all that kind of stuff, I was a big top-down kind of girl. So I was like all about the regulation and, and the laws and policies, and that's what we need. But over time, I see how important it is to have the grassroots efforts and the conversations like we're having today to get the collective shift to persuade the powers that be to do something a bit different. And so that's what comes up for me when I think about that. Yeah, it's the old adage, you know, vote, people vote with their dollars in that sense. And so, I say it every time, yeah. And it, it is true. And that, that demand is what's going to force, you know, like I love the, the recent example of the impossible meats, um, mm. impossible burger now at Burger King, which to me is like incredible that that happens so quickly. But it's all, they're basically like, look, we're, we got to get in on this because this is where things are heading. And that was only created from, wasn't, you know, like a regulation, unfortunately, that was within sort of big ag. It was like customer, proving that, that we're willing to do this if the product's there. And so um, right. that was a good example of like a ship within five years of now all of a sudden it's, it, it could totally yeah. pass um, a lot of the, the, the major meat companies is one that kind of, you know, quick yeah. example of that. It's great. Two things kind of quickly before I forget. One, we mentioned like the basic being uh, FSC Wood, so Forestry Stewardship Council. Certified. A lot of acronyms. <laughs> There's a lot of acronyms in this world, but um, for those who are like trying to learn a little bit more about how to be greener in your own projects, that's um, that's a great place to start and thing to Google and look at. And then funny story about Impossible Burger. I was at like I don't I don't know Fat Burger. That's a chain down here. I don't know if you know it. And I ordered the Impossible Burger. I was like, great, I'm going to try it. I'm so excited. I've tried every other vegan option under the sun. I eat vegan a lot of the time, most of the time. And I get it. And I also ordered like a water bottle and they forgot to give that to me. And so I was like, and then I got the burger and I was like, man, these guys gave me the wrong burger and didn't give me the water. And so I went up and I was like, I think you get, I was eating it. Like I ate it. It was delicious. I was like, who cares? I'm just going to eat this cheeseburger. And I ate it and I was like, it's no big deal. I ate it, but um, you gave me the wrong burger. And they straight up laughed in my face and were like, no, that's just yeah. how it tastes. It's just, it's real. It didn't give me the wrong one. It's, veg it's vegetarian. And I just like didn't believe them at all, but I didn't want to argue. So I was just like, okay. And then I like went outside and Googled. I was like, is it really that good? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did that too when I, when I was eating. I was like, kept looking. I'm like, yeah, I guess this is, this is yeah. But yeah, it kind of goes back to what you mentioned at the very beginning of the conversation where we don't, you wouldn't necessarily know that our products are eco-friendly. That's not necessarily something you can ascertain just by looking at it. We want to make sure the product is still desirable. And in this case, for a possible greater case, but for us, it's comfortable, looks great, stylish, and it also happens to incorporate the values that we instill. So um, that's been what we've always been really focused on. That's exactly right. And I listened to the podcast, How I Built This. Is that what it's called? Yeah, I love that yeah. one. Yeah, right. yeah. and the, the owner of, oh no, that shoe company that makes, the Kiwi company that makes amazing wool shoes. Um, Ugg? Tom? That's Australia. Can't confuse them or they get really mad. Um, <laughs> called like, wheel, I don't know, flywheel? I don't even know what it's called. Oh. All birds. All birds. I don't know where flywheel came from, but you know what I meant. Okay, all, all birds. birds. They yeah, kind yeah, of said the same thing. Like, people don't buy eco-friendly shoes. They buy attractive, comfortable shoes. And if they're eco-friendly, that's great. And I do think that the same thing applies to where we are not at now in this industry and others. But I am curious because I just recorded an episode with someone and it came up that I have found that a lot of companies hide their eco-friendly or sustainable ethics standards practices in order to not like brand or niche themselves as too granola, as too expensive, as too whatever it is they think they're trying to get away from, the, some sort of perceived barrier to entry. 
And I just want to know like what you think about that and how we can like let them know that that's not cool because I have like specifically done some Google searches and be like, what's an eco-friendly company that I can source XYZ from? And I'll get the link and then I'll go to the site and I look at the site and there's no, no information whatsoever. And then I'm like, well, are they even, were they miscategorized and on this list and they shouldn't be, or are they, um, but I've been talking to other green designers. We're finding that a lot of companies are kind of, if not hiding, not promoting anything yeah, it's, green. Yeah. It's been something we've struggled with in a little bit in terms of how much to make that top line messaging. Um, we've toggled back and forth because right now the demand is pretty small. You can type in eco-friendly furniture, non-toxic furniture. And I know I, I can look at Google. And I know what the search terms are. We rank on the first page for that. We're a tiny company. Good job. It is, but also shows you how little people actually searching for that. And so we've gone back and forth over the years in terms of like, well, how maybe we don't want to overwhelm people with that, make them feel some sort of sense of like guilt, or maybe they think it's going to be like a price point they can't afford. But at the end of the day, like we want to, we do want to be more out front with that. In the last like five years in particular, we've shifted more towards, I think, just being up front with that and making that more clear about our mission. And most studies show that, especially younger generations now, they do want to buy products and be associated with brands that have values that they care about. So even beyond price consideration, the style consideration, anything they're going to buy, they really do like to feel like there's some transparency there, there's some authenticity, there's some a larger mission that's beyond just, hey, this is a cool thing to buy. And so I think where we are right now is is a good place to be, and I would encourage all the companies to try to um, you know, rally around that and be a little bit more upfront with it without being only pigeonholed as that. I think it is important to still make sure that you're, you're giving a viable product that people are going to be excited about because when you're using something every day, like, Someone's sitting on their sofa, right? Like they're not thinking about, well, this was made from organic cotton and made from SSFSC. Like, yes, that's part of the thing maybe they are excited about and gives them some fulfillment. But like at the end of the day, you're sitting on this thing every day. And it's it's got to be functional. You've got to be in love with it um, from a day-to-day perspective as well. So. Yeah, that's fair enough. Okay, well, I think my last question for you is, What's next for you guys on the horizon? And like, if there's anything else we haven't covered, you really want us to know about Medley and what you guys are up to? Um, I think for us, it's, it's a matter of trying to get beyond and, and we're kind of like to reach a broader audience. I think we do really well with designers uh, and consumers that are already privy to this world of, of sustainability and eco-friendly. And so that's the biggest push for us over the next kind of three years is to reach that broad audience in the same way that someone like Method Cleaning did, right? They went from being this kind of small niche thing and all of a sudden then they're in Target and now they've got their product on the shelf and, and in homes all over the world and that was a big shift for them. And so similarly, I think that's that's a lot of what we're going to try to do and that's going to be around, um, you know, I think doing a better job of telling our story in a more emotional way, trying to bring this world to life. Um, people just don't necessarily understand, I think, a lot of what goes into making furniture. Obviously, the material we're using, all that stuff. So kind of bring that bring that to life, and I think in a cohesive and meaningful way is going to be what we're really focused on, as well as you know some product rollouts and just making sure that we can kind of hit uh, a little bit broad audience from that as well and not be a little bit more narrow where I think we are now stylistically. So. Um, sure. So you yeah. just said you've got big dreams. That's what you said. You said, I want to be in Target. That'd be great. No, well, sure. I mean, that may not be the best fit, but similar sort of thing where we want sure. ways to, to make what we're doing not niche anymore and not, not special. We don't want to, we want this, what we're doing to be the norm. And that's the only way to, to get there. So we'll see. And, and also, I mentioned, you know, in terms of the world of, of designers, we do everything is, is made to order, made one at a time. So if anyone all, you know, ever has a specific sizing or style request, that we can, we can make those. We can change the arm size, we can make them certain depths, whatever it is to the inch. And so that's so something that I think we'll continue. Yeah. yeah, we'll continue to focus on that. Um, that's one of the big advantages of building in the US one at a time instead of at mass overseas is that we can basically take any project someone has and we can, for the most part, fulfill that. So, Right. No, I think I told you that was the last question, but I just thought of one more, so I'm going to sneak it in. I'll tell you in a minute what I think the answer to this question is, but first I'll start with the question. In your production, 
in the factory or who it, wherever it is, the production shop. I am also curious. So the end product is great. I'm curious in terms of the manufacturing, have you found any ways to go green in your operations? Yeah. So that's um, an initiative we're trying to push on right now. I mean, a lot of it is just literally just the materials that we're using and we don't have a lot of waste because everything's made to order. So we don't have like a lot of inventory just sitting around where it's like, Oh, that didn't sell. I guess we just don't know. We're going to dump it or whatever. So okay. I think we're pretty, pretty efficient in terms of the energy we're using and the, and the materials, but we also are doing a big initiative this year to figure out ways to use scraps essentially. Like we do have little pieces of latex that are, um, that are, aren't built. They're basically like almost like kind of set aside or discarded now, or like, uh, a third of a yard of fabric that this wasn't used because of the shape of the arm or something like that. So trying to figure out a ways to utilize those materials um, for other products. They're going to be smaller, more kind of entry level pieces. Um, that's a, that's a big one for us. I think we're going to find some utility in that, which I think will be kind of a fun. And for us, it's a good, good way to try out new product categories that we're not necessarily focused on because all of a sudden you have a different like yeah. different set of materials and, and parameters to work with. It's like, Oh, what can I make from this? And so it forces us to kind of be more creative uh, with that as well. I love that. That is such a good ambition for you guys this year. And my answer to that question was going to be, well, you're made in the U S and anytime you can do that, you're kind of hitting a couple birds with one stone, which I've talked about in previous episodes for you guys. But one is literally just the carbon footprint in transporting something from overseas to the fact that it's here on U.S. soil, it really cuts down that travel part of that footprint, that carbon footprint, and socioeconomically responsible. We have a little bit better conditions here for some of the workers than um, abroad, and so that is a plus and should is a conversation that's always like tangential to the eco-friendly conversations because there are humans behind production and yeah. behind installation and all that kind of stuff. So I would just answer my own question with that. Yeah. Well, I think even, even beyond that, I mean, even that it's in the U.S., we visit, our, our, my team in L.A. is there weekly, a couple times a week. And so we have like an office basically in there in the facility. And so we can keep a really close eye, make sure that they're actually fulfilling, as we say, right? If you're making overseas, it's like in theory, they could maybe be using some products that actually aren't specifying and it's hard to know when you get the sure. thing. We're there, we see them making it and we go around the floor constantly to make sure everything's on point. And even for the quality, we can, we can up our level of craftsmanship and, and, and kind of hold, hold our team accountable for those things. So it's, yeah, like holistically, we, we, yes, it becomes more expensive, but it, for us, um, given the larger mission, it makes sense to keep everything here stateside. And I think the last thing I'll say, especially because we touched on cost a little bit and long-term versus short-term savings and certain things like latex cost, organic natural latex costing a little bit more. That's the number one question I get from people on a budget, which is a lot of, which is all of, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's everyone. So the number one question is, okay, but does it cost more? In some episodes, I've had chats where it's like, well, actually, some things are quite competitive and some things are on par, some things are the same. But how I explain it is like, okay, in the, in the design industry, you can go as expensive as you want and never have any, any green element to it whatsoever. So like this other designer once a really long time ago told me she sourced a $30,000 ashtray. <laughs> Now that is aggressive, aggressive waste, wasteful wealth right there. And I will never forget that 30 grand ashtray. But so, you know, and to lesser extremes as well, you can, I can find you a very expensive XYZ by a very fancy designer and it's a limited edition and whatever, and it has zero green elements. So it's all relative. And again, that's where that like secret sauce comes in for every, every designer doing it how they approach it and like, okay, well, what, uh, where are we going to spend the money within the budget and how does that work in with the style and the pieces and, and the sustainability and non and toxicity. So it's kind of like this shape shifting, 
a live organism that you're like working with in, in creating a project that is going to come to life for someone. So, yeah, for sure. So I hope in terms of cost that that is no longer in the near short term, that that is no longer a perceived barrier to entry because people are making things that are really competitive. And I'm so excited to hear you say that you're going to maybe dabble into like the world of scrap materials or reusing things off the cutting room floor. Cause I've seen some really cool things from other makers like countertop manufacturers being able to um, incorporate. Uh, there's these beautiful counters that have scrap metals set back into hard material. And so there's these beautiful like sparkly that almost have like a quartz like finish and same thing with like glass, like recycled glass into countertops. So I definitely think that there's something to that and that is very exciting. And I will be exploring your pages on medley.com in the near future. I think I have just about used up all our time, but where is one place that we can reach out to you should we need to? Oh, I'm not that present. I would say uh, on online, like I was like, like for public, I don't, I don't use Twitter. I have an Instagram. It's not really, I don't use it. So I would say in general, um, you know, in terms of our company, uh, you know, all of our social handles are hello medley. I mentioned uh, medleyhome.com is our web address. Um, but if everyone ever wants to reach out to me, um, they can just email me directly, Travis at medleyhome.com. I'd be happy to answer any questions, engage in any conversation. If you have any insights, feedback, questions, whatever, I'm open. That's perfect. And I don't have Twitter either. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> Off the grid. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I think there was a lot in this that people can dig into and hopefully reach out to one of us and learn a little bit more. And yeah, you guys are a favorite of mine. I have a, a coffee table in production now for a client, <laughs> which we've been emailing about. <laughs> and so that's great. That's coming. And I can't wait to see it. And uh, thank you again so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. Thanks. Okay. Take care. Bye.